I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend... MetLife Stadium for you guys. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Somehow, this is the 11th straight day of us doing us doing a podcast as we wrapped our 10-part season preview series. Today is a normal episode where we're going to talk to old friend Connor Rogers about Jets bills and some general Jets preview stuff. Uh, we'll go for our normal 20-ish minutes or so uh, because the season opener's here. We're into our regular season schedule, which means you'll find a podcast here on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TurnOnTheJets.com every Thursday. Sometimes a Saturday episode dropped in if uh, we're feeling like pushing it a little bit. Subscribe, rate, review, follow on Twitter at Jay Caparoso, follow Connor on Twitter. He's all over the place with Stick to Football and Bleacher Report. And that's it. Quick reminder, promo code OVERTIME, Vivid Seats mobile app, 10% off on your first purchase, up to $100. They are a sponsor of this podcast, Vivid Seats Studio, of course. And with that, let's bring in Connor Rogers. Connor, how you doing? Long time no talk. Good, Joe. It's good to be back. I hope everything's well with you. And uh, here we go for yet another season of New York Jets football. We have finally made it. Week one, Jets-Bills, Jets three-point favorites at home, which Vegas is telling us they view both of these teams as completely even, with the Jets getting the three for being home, so not surprising. As I was getting a little more in the weeds on Buffalo's depth chart going into this game, it's staggering how many new players they've added and how much they've turned over their offense. Like Literally their entire offense is free agents and draft picks outside of Josh Allen. It's like four new starting linemen, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gore, Yeldon, Singletary, what did you think about what Buffalo did this offseason with just how much turnover they had around Allen? Well, I really liked the draft. I was a huge fan of their draft. I actually thought they might have had the best draft or one of the best drafts just based on value. It seemed like they kept knocking that out of the park. You have Ed Oliver fall to nine. You have Cody Ford fall to them in the second round, which they were even shocked about if you watch their you know, behind-the-scenes series. Singletary was the only guy at the, at the time I thought they reached on by maybe a couple picks, but he's looked great this summer, so nobody will care at that point. And they went out and signed a bunch of offensive linemen. The question is, it, will any of them be really good, I think, or stay healthy? Mitch Morse, I know, is a good player, but he's been really banged up. And, of course, the scariest part is that's been concussions. So, yeah, this is a new-look Bills team. A, a lot of young potential studs on defense that is going to carry this team at times. And a lot of additions that even a guy like Cole Beasley, John Brown, those additions on offense, we're going to wait and see because they haven't necessarily been dominant wherever they've been. And a lot of that is going to depend on their young quarterback and Josh Allen. When you look at the actual 53 that the Jets decided to keep, 
what surprised you about how they structured the number of guys they kept at certain positions? I think most of us were are still a little surprised by nine defensive linemen, still only five cornerbacks with no really major additions through the waiver wires, uh, still nine offensive linemen, only five receivers. What are the things that jumped out to you, and what do you think are the internal justifications for how the roster is currently structured? Well, I think that's the most important one is the fact how many defensive linemen they kept in place of how little corners they kept. The problem I have with that is everybody knows this is not a strong corner group that's been pretty apparent before this before the summer into the summer as we've seen the summer so when you look at that side of things you know it's you would like to see a lot of bodies in there in case a guy is out there struggling and you could at least substitute him out and see if you catch you know a flash in the pan kind of situation at cornerback they haven't really even left that door open and Tremaine Johnson's working his way back just a lot of time in August so you always worry about things like hamstrings, strains, pulls, anything like that, because they're the things that become re-aggravated the most. And you don't want to blink and look at this team and have them down to four corners. Two of them are slot corners. Now that's the most, I like Brian Poole and I like them acquiring more help from Indianapolis. But I think when it comes down to it, they just have no help on that side. Now the defensive line situation, when you look at it, Nathan Shepard actually had a pretty good summer. I know a lot of people are, are already out and down on him and they didn't want to keep a million defensive linemen. So it feels like they want two full rotations, which Greg Williams is going to go full Greg. That's no surprise there. A little light at wide receiver, but once again, it's not like they cut anyone overwhelmingly talented. I like Greg Dorch as a returner, and I think he'll be really solid on the practice squad for them. But it's interesting just to see they took their weakest position at corner, and they're kind of sitting on their hands right now. You mean to tell me Deontay Burnett isn't a future Hall of Famer and wasn't immediately picked up by all 31 teams? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I like Deontay Burnett, but, man, if he wasn't best friends with Sam Darnold, I, I don't know. He flashed at times last year, but how many little slot receivers can Adam Gase hold on to this year? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. My, as I went through and gave my predictions for the season and kind of structured in my head how I think this season plays out, the, the best way I could simplify it down is I think the Jets' offense is going to be good, and I think their defense and special teams are not going to be good. Is my ultimate overall take, and I think that nets them out of around an 8-8 eight and eight team. I am generally not as high on Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator as I think most of the fan base is. I think as a fan, it's very easy to get excited about him. He's got all the moments from Hard Knocks. He's got the big personality. He's going to curse a lot. I, Where does he rank sort of like league-wide and just as an overall defensive coordinator? And what should the confidence level be with him being able to work magic with probably the worst cornerback and edge rusher combination group in the league on paper, if not worse in the bottom five or six. Well, I think the Greg's problem is he's going to have to make this defense a takeaway based defense. And I think what I mean by that is it's got to be, you know, kind of feast or famine or else they'll die by a thousand paper cuts, which we've seen from Tom Brady against this Jets team 9 million times. But now it's more apparent than ever. 
they need to take the football away. That means get creative. You need to fight for the football, whether it's on strips, you need to attempt to jump routes. If you get beat over the top, it really doesn't matter to me because at the end of the day, they're going to get beat eventually. That's how weak they are at cornerback. And that relies on guys like Jamal Adams and Marcus May in the back, right? You know, on the back end, guys that have made those plays in the past. You look at Quinn and Williams up front, a lot is going to be asked of him to, you know, draw pressure and sack the quarterback to take some pressure off these corners and CJ Mosley against the run, of course. And we've even seen Mosley flash in coverage at so it's tricky with Greg. I don't I'm with you, Joe. I'm I don't think Greg Williams is this elite defensive coordinator. He's kind of a middle of the pack guy. But at the end of the day, you could only work with what you got. And right now, he's somebody that, to put it in perspective, two years ago when the Browns were in that, uh, you know, had two early, early picks, he was the guy fighting for Denzel Ward because he sat there and said, I need cornerbacks for my defense to flourish. The Jets don't have any right now. So that's going to be Greg's first complaint when things start going bad, assuming they do from the secondary. I do think this team will score a lot of points where – they're not going to be out of games all the time because they have that kind of firepower on offense. But it's going to be a very interesting dynamic, especially when Greg starts sending a lot of pressure and leaving some of these weaker secondary players out on an island. So it's, I would love to say it's a wait-and-see approach, but I think I feel pretty good to know what this team is. They're a team that can hang around drive-by-drive because drive of Sam Darnold and the offense, and they're a team that can get a takeaway, a takeaway on defense to spark a turnover. But at the end of the day, Hey, they're going to surrender a lot of points against the pass. Very quickly, and I know you've talked about this in a few other places, what exactly happened with Ja'Kai Polite? Was this a situation where the defensive staff was never on board with the pick? They decided they were going to play him his way. It did not work, compounded with him regularly being late for meetings, which we know was a problem, reported problem with him here and apparently a problem with him previously. How surprising is it that he was cut and that he wasn't claimed? And, and what are just sort of the high-level takeaways of what actually happened with this not working out this this suddenly? I'm a little surprised he was cut now because I, I can tell you this. When that went down in the war room, and I know Adam Gase wasn't on the cameras and stuff, but he's obviously there. The entire staff is there. They made decisions, even if, even if they knew McCagnan was out the door or they didn't. They were working together on a lot of the picks, and one of those picks was Ja'Kai Polite. Adam Gase and Mike McCagnin were working together you know, to sign off on a pick like that. They took two character risk picks in this draft. A lot of people forget. Chuma Adoga did not have the, you know, the laziness or the, uh, that, you know, that side of Ja'Kai Polite, but he had some, some overall toughness and work ethic concerns, and he had a really good summer, I thought. While Ja'Kai Polite, you couldn't have had a worse summer. So Adam Gase wanted this guy. Mike McCagnin obviously really wanted this guy. This guy. And when you have those two, it, you're investing in a project pick that needs to grow up, needs to mature, and a staff needs to buy into. And that was not the case. Greg Williams, Joe Vitt, all of the guys on the defensive staff, I, I don't think they ever wanted anything to do with this guy. Uh, I think that when he pro- probably got there, and I can't speak to it because I'm not on the coaching staff, but it really makes you wonder how much effort was really put in. Now, on the flip side, this is not making an excuse for the player because this is 90% of this is on him. He, he needs to grow up. He needs to get his act together. He's a young player that left Florida early and dominated in the SEC as a pass rusher at times and clearly was not ready for the NFL workload. So it's a mess of a situation. Uh, I would imagine Joe Douglas came in, listened to the defensive staff, and said, look how bad this guy has been this summer. He has the same work at the concerns that he had coming out of college. Joe Douglas and his guys might have had way lower grades on Ja'Kai Polite, 
than the Mike McCagnan regime did. So that's an issue as well. So at the end of the day, this was basically an all-around disaster that it seems like Adam Gase is probably, and he's not going to say this to the media, but I'm sure behind closed doors, he's willing to say to the defensive staff, all right, you know, I was wrong. We're moving on from the guy. It's said and done. Now you don't have to worry about it or work with him anymore. So it's disappointing. It's an all-around mess. The finger can really only be pointed at Ja'Kai Polite, but it seems like he was never going to succeed here from day one when you hear the background stories of how this pick even went down. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Shifting the focus back to week one. Jets Bills, you know, we were talking a little bit before we recorded and, you know, we don't want to be overly dramatic in September, but... This kind of feels like a must-win for the Jets, and I say that because on paper they will be underdogs in their next five games. New England twice, Philly, Dallas, uh, and Cleveland. That's four teams who were in the divisional round of the playoffs or later last year, and the Browns who are you know, a projected 9-10-11 win team this year somehow. Uh, yes, that those Cleveland Browns. Um, divisional game, your home game against Buffalo. You lose this. You still have two left against New England. you got to go to Buffalo in December. I would say this seems to be a pretty good matchup for where the Jets have shortcomings on defense because Buffalo is not going to be a spread-out passing attack. They're going to try to run the football. Uh, The Jets are strong up the middle. They're strong on the defensive line. How do you feel about this matchup overall and the importance of the Jets winning this game? Well, it kind of goes back to the point about the defense being a takeaway-oriented group, and they're playing a quarterback that has no problem giving away the football. Now, I think the same could be said for the Jets' offense. The Bills have a good defense. They'll take away the football. Sam Darnold has been prone to the turnover in the past. But I'm with you, Joe. In in terms of the first, you know, six games of the first half of the season, you kind of got to win this one. I mean, it's not going to get any easier. The Browns' hype has gotten out of control. The Jets are very much in that game at home. Uh, Now, it's going to be a very tough win if they could pull it off. But to write them off, anyone would be insane. But then... New England, Philadelphia, Dallas, and New England in a four-game stretch is an absolute nightmare. So if you don't beat the Bills, you're kind of looking at this and you're saying, God, are we going to start out here, you know, who, who knows, maybe one and five, maybe two and four at best. It gets scary really quick. So you'd like to beat the Bills. The matchup there, there's some strengths for the Jets here. I like Trey White at corner for Buffalo, but it, can he guard everyone? No, Robin. Anderson did very well against this team last year. I think Jamison Crowder and Le'Veon Bell underneath are, are difference makers in this matchup. And I just, the Buffalo offense, I think they have a great defense. They're very well coached. And I'm a big fan of the front office in terms of picking talent. But I still think this is an offense that's going to be handcuffed by the inconsistencies of their quarterback play. And it's not like they went out and they got a Julio Jones kind of player that, that he can use as a binky. They really don't have that. And the offensive line is... It's not in disarray, but there's been some shifting with the offensive line because of injuries. So I'm curious to watch that unit gel together. And the same could be said for the Jets' offensive line. It's a very even game, and that's why the line is three points when the Jets are at home. Like you said, on a neutral site, this is an even game. But I think at the end of the day, while it'll be a close game, I think this is one that the Jets come away with a win. 
Who? How do you see the the running back usage breaking down for Buffalo, or who basically outside of Allen and whatever he ends up doing, you know, scrambling or attempting to throw deep? Who should the Jets be most concerned with slowing down on Buffalo's offense? Who could do the most damage there now with LaShawn McCoy gone and then sort of revamping uh, their receiver and running back group? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've seen this Jets team get beaten by nobodies on the Bills before, which is always scary. I, I think John Brown over the top, we talked about how the corners for the Jets are very prone to being beat deep. And, and I think John Brown is somebody that when he's on the field can beat you deep. Now, of course, Frank Gore, who is, you know, testing father time here, always seems to be the focal point of any offense he lands on. TJ Yeldon and Devin Singletary actually as pass catchers out of the backfield. How many times have we seen Jets linebackers beat by running backs? And, you know, Avery Williamson, it's awful that he got hurt. There's no doubt about it. It's a downgrade. But one upgrade is Blake Cashman can cover. And Blake Cashman's going to have to play and cover or else these running backs and Yeldon and Singletary or he could eat these linebackers up. Offensively, what type of game plan are you expecting from Adam Gase? How many times is Sam Darnold going to throw the football in this game? How many touches is Le'Veon Bell going to get right out of the gate after not playing at all in this preseason? We know the quotes are out there about him telling Adam Gase, use me 50 times if you want. I'm assuming the Jets are going to kind of ramp him up and then really have him full workhorse post bye week, which is super early for the Jets this year. But you know, how many again, like high level? How many times is Sam Darnold dropping back and throwing the football, and how many total touches is Le'Veon Bell getting in his debut for the Jets? Yeah, I'm with you on the Le'Veon situation. It almost feels like it's going to be a Zeke situation where he might see you know 20 touches here or there, and. And that might seem high, but we've seen Lev take on 40 in the past or whatever it may be. He's an ultimate NFL workhorse. So he's going to see the ball, but it's not going to be that this is our offense and this is our offense only kind of workload. When you look at Sam in this situation, it's very interesting because I felt like, of course, for a rookie quarterback, he was, you know, limited at times last year, not always asked to drop back and throw a ton of times. And then you look at, this year with Adam Gase, all the things they say about him, like, you know, he could he could throw, he could throw the piss out of the ball, I believe Gase said. When it comes down to it, you know, they're not going to limit him. They're going to use him as much as they can, essentially, in this situation with Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, where he's going to, he could drop back easily. I don't see why not over 30 times. I mean, that just seems very obvious to me that they're just not going to limit this guy at all. I think he's going to be asked to roll out a lot in Adam Gase's offense. They like to get him on the move. He's going to ask to throw the ball down the field a lot to Robbie Anderson, which obviously is the bread and butter at times of this team. So with Sam, I mean, the the handcuffs are off this year. That's a good thing here. I know people didn't always love Adam Gase's offense in Miami, but you have to wonder how limited was he at times with whether it was Tannehill, Brock Osweiler, guys like that. I think you're going to see a very, very aggressive offense, especially while Le'Veon is being eased back in. So as we look overall for expectations on this team, I said two and four through six, five and five through ten, seven and six heading into the final three, eight and eight overall, and I kind of spent all offseason going back and forth between seven, eight, or nine wins and settled kind of safely in the middle. Their Vegas win total is seven point five, so you know, a narrow on the over there. You know, you look once they get through that first six, the schedule theoretically softens up a little bit with Oakland and Jacksonville and the Giants and the Redskins. End of the day, as it stands right now, 
What do you think the Jets' record is in Adam Gase's first year? Uh, where do they net out overall? Yeah, I'm sick to football. I had them right at 8-8, eight and eight, and I, I keep explaining to people because a lot of people think that's very optimistic. While I, I always say 8-8 eight eight is the kind of thing where a lot can go your way and a lot can go against you. We've seen Geno Smith go 8-8 eight eight before. If they have a kicker issue this year, they will not win eight games. It's as simple as that. That will lose you football games. Now, I talked about how they can easily start out one and five. I really do believe that. This is a tough schedule. But on the back end, uh, there's some cupcake matchups here. I mean, they have a stretch, Joe, where they go Miami, the Giants, Washington, Oakland, Cincinnati, Miami. Uh, None of those teams are expected to be good football teams. So uh, we highlight a really brutal opening six-game stretch. That's a cupcake six-game stretch where you should go five and one. There's no excuse. So for them to sneak out a couple extra wins here and, and, and be an eight-win team would not surprise me. That includes, you know, like I said, a couple kicks go four against you. You could easily win seven there. I, I think this is a team where if Sam Darnold has a really good year, all the blame goes off of Adam Gase and he will be more than fine. Everything will be looked at with the defense. Greg Williams bounces around almost more than anyone, it feels like, in the league at this point recently so it's going to be really interesting I, I think it'll be a very positive growing year for Sam Darnold I'm just pumping the, pumping the brakes on any playoff talk yeah I mean that was kind of similar to what I laid out and I actually I said Jets 8-8 eight and eight and they fire Greg Williams and Bram Boyer after the year because I do think Darnold's going to be good I think Robbie's going to be good Le'Veon will be good and they'll have to be a scapegoat somewhere and I, I could see the Jets having a top 10 to 12 offense and DVOA, but like a bottom five or six defense and special teams potentially in DVOA, just because they literally just added their kicker and returner like two days ago. And their kick returner is Trenton Cannon and he's not a good kick returner. Yeah. I don't know why he, he continues to be given opportunities to do it, but that's another, that's a question for another day. I mean, before we wrap, I, I am still baffled that the DraftKings over-under touchdown line for Sam Darnold is 22.5. That seems insanely wow, low to me. I didn't know that. Um, like a slam dunk over. I think he's somewhere between 28 and 31 touchdowns, which I think is a reasonably optimistic take. I could see an argument, okay, maybe he only has like 26, but 22.5 when he had 17 and 13 games last year with Jeremy Bates and Andre Roberts and... Uh, Eli McGuire, that number is insane to me. Is the league-wide perception of him nowhere near pacing what our Jet fan perception is of him? Uh, That's very interesting to me. That seems incredibly low. I don't know if that number is made up because they think they're just going to use Le'Veon Bell the way the Steelers did in terms of a runner, but no, I I disagree. I think I've said it all along. The things you could bet on with the Jets this year is that the secondary, specifically the defense, is going to give up a ton of passing production. And on the flip side, I think the offense is going to have a dramatic increase in pass production. So I don't really get that one. Uh, after we get off this call, I think I'm going to smash the over on that because I somehow missed it after living in the great state of New Jersey. Uh, that, that is one of my favorite bets I've heard so far. Hammer your offensive over bets on the Jets and hammer the over overall on all Jets games this year is our basic takeaway, which if they're 8-8, eight and eight, at least it'll be an entertaining 8-8. Eight and eight. It's, it's a fun 8-8, eight eight. yeah. It's a fun 8-8, eight eight, which will be a nice change of pace. Not the 2013 8-8 eight eight with Geno or some of the other 8-8 eight eight seasons, which Good were not, not that exciting. Um, all right, Connor, that's it. Uh, tell everybody all the exciting stuff you're going to be up to this year and where they could follow your work. Well, I think for this show specifically, uh, stick to football from Bleacher Report. We're coming to Jets-Browns on Monday Night Football. 
We're going to be in lot E11. Uh, the Winters Bros have a pretty wild tailgate set up there. So we're going to be doing a show from there. We're going to be eating, drinking, having a good time on Monday Night Football. Joe, you and I were talking before the show. It was the first uh, first year in a very, very long time since I was, could barely walk that I hadn't been to a Jets game last year. So I'm excited to get that right off the list on our tailgate tour right away this year in week two. Yeah, both Connor and I broke our like lifelong streaks last year of never making it out to a Jets game. Those streaks will be broken man, this year. I will be back. It's in tough that working, life. man. It's, it's tough. tough having to pay the bills and, and be on the road and do stuff. <laughs> it be is not. Growing up is hard, kids. Growing up is hard. Uh, but we will be out in that life this year. That's awesome that you got that set up for week two. That should be a fun game regardless. You all know where to fo- follow Connor on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. And that is it. We'll talk later in the year, Connor, hopefully prepping up for a Jets playoff run. Yeah, I hope so too, Joe. Thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely.